Hello, everyone. Before we get the show started, the Psychosocial Podcast is not a replacement for therapy or mental health treatment. The conversation is for informational and entertainment purposes only. If you find yourself needing professional help, seek treatment with a qualified therapist. Thank you. Now enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Psychosocial Podcast. Today's topic is POC students navigating higher education. And we're excited that we have Jesse Escalante joining us again for this episode. So we're going to get started. Uh, The reason why we chose this topic is because we've all been there. We've all been students of color in higher education. And I think that it's important for us to talk about not just our experiences, but also, you know, some of the challenges that arise right from being uh, people of color and having to navigate a lot of these old institutions that um, were not always designed or welcoming for us. So who wants to get started talking a little bit about their own experience? Well, Luis. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Liz. (laughs) Uh, For me, like when I had uh, applied to grad school, I was like, I had such high expectations. <laughs> oh god! And I was just like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna—I'm gonna be in a classroom with like-minded people, and we're gonna be able to dive deep and talk about systems of oppression and and instu- institutionalization and, and mental health and how it intersects." And wow, I was like so <laughs> disappointed and learned really, really fast that. I was the person that had to teach about Mm. um, POC uh, experiences, about my experience, about, you know, also coming from, like, working class background. Because I went to a private school, right? I went to CIIS in San Francisco. And, man, and then sometimes I, like, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to be the angry brown person in this class. And I don't care because if I don't say something, then they're not going to learn. They're not going to know. And it's like, at the end of the day, I was like, Hey, you know what? Don't come into my community and like re-traumatize my people. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, please don't like get your shit together. Like do your homework, get your research. And oh, we're so triggered, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, you know, it's just like, it's just so, it's so challenging. It's so challenging because at the end of the day, the institution can be like, Whoa, we're diverse. We're open-minded, this, then that. But on la mera neta and in la mera hora, boom, you know, if the teacher or the professor is not prepared and they're not uh, used to having those conversations and there's not a safe space created, it goes can go bad really, really easy. And also, you know, everybody's triggered, including myself. So that doesn't help either. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Liz. You know, and the, the interesting thing is not just even once we're there, right, it's actually getting there Mm. right it's actually getting into these programs for a lot of us who are like myself who are first generation college students there was so much confusion and mysticism and just so many barriers to having to really navigate these types of institutions right from having to take exams from having to prep and and also have parents you know who didn't really understand the system and where there's a lot of confusion um you know, especially figuring out the financial piece, right? And coming into this kind of uh, uh, system and being told, you know, you're going to get loans and you have to sign this and being 18 and not having to translate for your parents and trying to figure out what the hell you're actually doing uh, was really scary, right? And and um, I think for me, my experience with higher education uh, didn't start off so well. Uh, I actually ended up being in my undergrad 
for about six, almost seven years because I kept going back and forth between, you know, not only what I wanted to do, but also feeling very lonely, not getting a lot of guidance, not really understanding uh, how to look for what I needed in higher education. You know, I had lots of counselors. None of them were people of color who often made a lot of assumptions or told me that I was lucky to be there and that I was getting grants. And, you know, that didn't feel good either. It almost felt like I was being told that I was there because of the color of my skin or also because I was first generation. Uh, so having to navigate that and deal with what, a lot of what you shared, uh, Liz, as well in the classroom, right, actual classroom, having to oftentimes be one of the only people of color um, or even uh, just having to share my experience and feeling misunderstood or feeling like I wasn't being valued for my experience, right? I was just some kid from the hood, right, back in Inglewood in L.A., uh, who got lucky, right, and was going to college with all of these people who had parents who had gone to college, who had other family members that had gone to college. So for me, it was a lot of first. It was a lot of confusion. It was a lot of having to navigate. Um, I decided to leave home when I first uh, went to college. I started at Cal State, e what, well, what's now known as Cal State East Bay. Uh, when I went there was Cal State Hayward. And, um, you know, I was there for a couple of years and had to go back home because I didn't do too well. Like I said, I didn't feel like I had a lot of support. Um, I did great in high school and, and college was just like a shock to me. It was like living alone, having all these expectations, not having a lot of people that look like me and trying to just navigate. Also discovering my own identity as a queer person. Uh, so went home, stuck, went to Cal State Fullerton, uh, got you know, even more disappointed, right? This is Orange County. <laughs> I worked at a restaurant to support myself, got lots of racist comments all the time. I mean, having to navigate that, right? Funding your own education is also tough. And then having to go home and studying and trying to figure all this stuff out uh, was definitely no joke. Um, then after that, I finally decided, you know, I'm going to come back to the Bay Area. And I went back to San Francisco State, which is where I finally graduated um, after, like I said, six or seven years, finally figured out what I wanted to do, finally found people that were helpful. Um, I think at that point I had learned that I, I couldn't do things on my own. So I did find a really great community uh, to help me and other folks of color. Um, but it didn't feel that accessible. Right. It felt like I actually had to look for folks. And so going through that experience, just higher education for a lot of first generation um, students, it's it's not easy. So if you're out there and you're going through something similar or if you're experiencing something of like what I shared, just know that you are valuable and you do deserve the space that you're in and you do deserve to have your voice heard. Thanks for sharing that, Louise. Yeah, for my experience, um, I I'm originally from Salinas, California, so I grew up in a working class community, right? Um, and it was just really challenging, very similarly to you, Luis, where, um, you know, I didn't have much, like, many mentors or role models or people that I could, you know, count on or can be of support. Um, and as, as Luis mentioned, uh, my parents also, I'm also first generation, right, uh, being college student. And having to navigate the educational system was pretty tough, right, because there's a lot of confusion. I think also, um, you know, some of the things that when my, my mom would tell me or my dad, like, oh, why don't you find yourself like a career, a career that's like short, you know, or shorter, like, and they didn't understand, you know, it's not like they wanted to discourage me. It's, it's 
more of like they did not understand how it works right so it's like that was also very challenging to kind of deal with and also um but one of the persons that really was supportive in my journey was my one of my sisters who came to SF State and, you know, who's now, now she's a nurse practitioner and she was able to support me through the um, undergraduate, you know, education at SF State because I followed her here. And then, you know, even before all of that, I, w- I was all over the place. Like I went to Texas at some point and then I went to New Jersey at some point and then I made it back out here. And um, and then I went to grad school. I'm not going to share the school, but if y'all hear this, you know who I am. You know, <laughs> y'all know who I am. Feel it, honey. Uh, but you know, it was quite challenging because um, I wasn't even going to go to grad school. But I talked to a friend, and she's like, "Let's, let's, you know, let's do this program." And I looked into it, and I was like, "All right, let's do it." I didn't look, I didn't do much research, but. I just went for it. It was a private institution. And, you know, I think it was quite a diverse cohort, but, you know, the staff was not, you know, the professors were not. So it was quite challenging to navigate that, you know, their own biases and, and, you know, um, just like things having to deal with, you know, like grading the grading system and all of that and like my own internalized oppression and my own internalized um just like I would say trauma right having to navigate the educational system kind of alone even through childhood so it it was quite a a process and also having to deal with people like as Luis mentioned that um were not did not quite understand you know where you know, my experience, right, and um, everyone comes from a different background, I understand that, but I did feel like um, I had to constantly navigate through, like, a lot of this internalized rage or ancestral rage mm-hmm. and, like, feeling like, oh, this is so frustrating, and um, I think at the end of the day, what really helped me is to find a sense of community and to find people and support, you know, uh, friends, right, that were also you know, we may not have had the same experience, but we were going through it in the moment. And um, and just like what really helped me was like to really speak my truth a- unapologetically and be okay with not being understood. And it took a lot. It really took a lot from me in my own healing journey and knowing that I'm, you know, I was worthy and I was valuable and I needed to be there and not like have all this these internalized oppress oppressive like thoughts right and ex- that I've kind of hold on to mm-hmm. um so it just yeah it, that was sort of my experience it was quite challenging I'm not gonna lie but um you know I felt like having a supportive system was really helpful and like friends yeah you know uh Cynthia one of the things that um as you're talking, I, I think about is, um, you know, how important it is to have community and to have people that see you, validate you, and um, say, like, you're important. You know, you are important. I Both in undergrad and in grad school, I was really blessed to be in community and also to have, like, individual professors or individual teachers. Um, I remember in grad school, I was like, it's you know grad school was just so hard for so many different so many different reasons like for the first like three years it was like a four-year program but for like the first three years I was um moving every six months 
in San Francisco. And it, you know, and it was just, it was really stressful not really having the money or the resources. And I was very unhappy. And I was like, man, how am I supposed to study? Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to study where I don't even know, like, yes. I'm going to be living in two weeks, but I know I got to move, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, and I remember one and one occasion I went up to the director of the program and I told her, I was like, I just need to take a year off. And I was almost done. And she's like, no, Liz, you need to finish. I'm not going to let you, you know. And I feel so grateful now because, like, she's like, you're needed in your community. And she really you know, knew me or, you know, she really saw me, you know, and also had other professors that were also very supportive. And I think that's how I was able to survive the university, you know, because I did have have that support and that community. And it's so, so, so important to be able to find those like minded people. And even if it's just one professor or, you know, maybe one student that, you know, you can go to, I think it's so important in to be able to finish, right? To be able to, like, one thing is to get there. It's its own thing. But another one is also to be able to finish and graduate with that diploma as well, too. Yes, and that's such a big thing, right? When we're talking about grad school, thanks for bringing that up, Liz, because we know that the percentage of folks of color who have master's degrees or doctorate degrees is actually really quite low in this country, right? And, and it's for a lot of reasons, right? It's not just the fact that it takes so much time, but it costs a lot. It's a luxury in a lot of ways. And at the same time, right, having to navigate that system when you are uh, accepted, it's another whole spectacle. You know, I remember going into grad school and being maybe like one of three, maybe three or four men uh, and maybe like one of three Latinos and not feeling, you know, as connected and kind of having to share a lot of my own experience. And, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the community piece because I did meet one person in grad school who was also Latino and who was also gay and who got me through a lot of that stuff. You know, we were able to have conversations. We didn't feel alone. We were able to giggle at some of the stuff together, kind of like calling BS, you know, in the class. Um, I think our program at Long Beach State, uh, you know, I, I valued it a lot. I definitely feel like I learned so much, but I, I do feel that a lot of, you know, just a lot of things when it comes to talking more about the cultural aspects, there was there's definitely a lot of moments where I didn't know how to respond, right? There was one class in particular that I absolutely loved. The professor was great, but a lot of the kind of social experiments that we would do in the classroom triggered a lot of the other folks who are not people of color, right? And having to kind of navigate that for me was just, was awful, right? Feeling like, oh, you know, what what am I supposed to make out of this, right? So I brought up a lot of these feelings, right? And, and Cynthia mentioned the ancestral rage. Um, you know, if you don't know what that is, we do have an episode on that. So definitely go ahead and listen to that. But that does play a relevance, right, for a lot of us as folks of color going into these spaces where we know that they were not designed for us, where we know that a lot of people who have gone into higher education, um, you know, are white. And that's the way the system has been created and even the mental health field, right? Going into these evidence-based practices, going into these expectations of how to navigate, uh, you know, the mental health field from a white supremacist lens, you know, really, I mean, I think that that was present in probably most or all of our programs, right? And and because there was, there's really no escaping it. And I mean, having to deal with that and also question like, is this really going to work in my community? Is this really like valid? You know, what about, my own, you know, views and my own um, 
experiences with healing, right? All of these other things that seemed like they were invalidated because they weren't EVPs or because they weren't like... They weren't in the book. Yeah, they weren't in the book, right? There, there was no chapter on them. Um, so I think a lot of like that too, also questioning some things and, uh, you know, the education system itself is, I mean, it is deeply rooted in white supremacy, so... Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you, Luis. Uh, Jesse, I was curious to um, hear about your experience as well. Yeah, thank you. Like so much of what has already been said, I'm also first generation uh, Mexican-American. And honestly, I had a very difficult time assimilating to higher education as a person of color. Um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna spill the tea. <laughs> uh, I, I, I did my undergrad at San Francisco State and I double majored in sociology and dance. And it was some of the most conflicting and traumatic and difficult moments of my life, especially as a dancer. Um, dance is so rooted in whiteness and I didn't realize that until I studied it in a college setting. My professors were all white and they only upheld white forms of dancing like ballet or contemporary. So things like hip hop, jazz, tap, they were not taught at all. So dancers of color that came in with different economic resources we were invalidated. The only dancers that were upheld in my program were white dancers that went to academies, went to the ballet and could afford classes since they were three years old. And I'm like, my family could not afford these classes that y'all were taking. And I didn't feel good enough. I remember just like going home after class and just like crying all the time. Cause it was like, you know, so many dancers of color were not being heard or seen in our program because we couldn't afford the same resources. And I unfortunately had to change myself and who I was and assimilate to this sort of competitive mindset and like fight my way up the social ladder just to be seen by my professors. Um, Cause I didn't have, I couldn't afford the training that the other white dancers could. And then when I majored in sociology, that was a whole other beast because I was learning about the systemic racism that has happened in our country that, let's be honest, we're not talking about in K through 12. That's that's history that is hidden in our education system. We don't talk about things like the way that the war on drugs has affected communities of color, the way that the Black Panthers were all murdered and attacked. You know, it's like these, these were information that I was learning about in college. And then I was angry i was so upset that this was happening to our communities and like it was shocking to white people but to know that this was happening to your community for years the like, racism i learned and it was shocking like oh racism isn't this like new concept it's just it's been happening underground and also in our faces forever and that shock that reality shock i went through like anger and i just i remember having this person came up to me and they're like why are you angry all the time? And I'm like, why am I not angry? Learning about the history of our country and higher education. I'm, I'm grateful higher education showed me this as a person of color, but also I should not have to wait and pay all this money to learn about the <laughs> systemic racism happening yes. in our country. Mm -hmm. This should be taught now. And like, we're having this conversation, right? Like, around critical race theory and should that be taught in K through 12? And I'm like, 
yes it yes. should if kids are experiencing racism at an early age kids of color are experiencing racism then we should be teaching kids how to not be racist mm -hmm. so critical race theory should be taught in k through 12. Mm -hmm. and even then we talk pre-k too even pre-k yeah. yeah. yes and then we talk about grad school and like for me that was so difficult because on a very personal note um, I went through a situation where I was actually houseless while applying to grad school. So I was like applying to grad school while like couch surfing and like not knowing where I was going to sleep. And I just remember thinking like, I really have to want this. Like I have to fight battles that, and I'm not going to say it until like, you know, white folks aren't homeless or houseless or they don't go through economic adversity. They do, you know, but people of color, we go through it at such a higher rate. And my dad being undocumented and we come from little to nothing, like I can't go home. Like home was not an option. I don't have a home, you know, like I've, whatever I have for myself in San Francisco, I have built and I have fought for. And that's a story that so many people of color can relate to. We have to literally fight for what we have in this world. And being houseless, I was like, education is all I really have right now. And if I don't make it here, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so I felt lucky to get into Berkeley, but also I had to like humble myself and be like, you know, like so many, so many of my colleagues were afforded the right to be here. You know, they had the resources to be here. And I was like, I'm barely here. I barely made it here. And, and it's a weird thing where you have to kind of, um feel like i don't know how to describe it like um like i'm trying to figure out what to say here um kind of like you don't deserve to be there right mm -hmm. and, and then imposter syndrome yeah. and then realizing that your experiences are so valid and for yes. anyone out there that doesn't feel like you don't belong in higher education because of the color of your skin because of your economic adversity i'm telling you right now like you belong there you know it's the world telling you otherwise but mm -hmm. don't listen to those voices because they're not real. Yes, uh, thank yes, you. I love yes, everything you just said. Jessie. Honestly, it's so funny because the one thing that came up for me, and this is actually one of those experiences that I had to, I was doing my EMDR training and I actually used this as one of the uh, examples, right? When it was my turn to go through the process on what I wanted to address. And I never realized uh, just how much it had impacted me. And it was in high school uh, not just getting into the high school I went to, because I, I was actually um, in high school in Inglewood, and I was there for maybe about five months, and then I really thought, you know, I want to go to college, I need to figure something out, and my dad was working in, a, you know, a really wealthy town called El Segundo, which is next to Manhattan Beach down in LA, and you know, it was all white students. It was probably like 80, 90% white students, very affluent city. And I told my dad, I really want to go. And my dad was like, no, you can't go there. And he wouldn't tell me why until eventually I really fought for it. I said, I want to go here. I want to go to college. And I know that this school is going to help me. And, you know, before I even started, he, he told me, he's like, you know, I just want you to know that people are going to say things to you and they might treat you a certain way, but you're smart. And I want you to be able to show you know that you're smart and so i got into the school i had to go through this whole process um I, english was actually one of my favorite subjects i loved writing i loved reading and i got into the school and they made me go through english and Sp english learners testing because they didn't believe me that i was like you know they said that the equivalent from my high school there that maybe it was different I sat there in an office with this white lady while they kept they, i was listening to this recording literally say look up look down close your eyes uh, uh, uh. and I was sitting there so insulted and so angry going uh. through this 
finished doing that and then I was placed in regular English. So wasn't they didn't even let me go into the honors English I was trying to go into. They put me in regular English. So they said, "Okay, well you're not in ESL, but we're going to put you in regular English because we don't we don't know if you qualify for honors." So I was in regular English. My professor um or my teacher was like, "You know, you're really good. You're getting straight A's." Went into my second uh sophomore English and I knew that teacher from before and they were like, "Oh, what are you doing here? Like you should be in like in honors, they wrote me a recommendation. I went into this honors course. All the students there were white. And this is this is something that always stuck with me. And, and I'm sharing it because I think it's very relevant for a lot of us. I remember uh, being asked to read a certain passage. And there was a word in there that I didn't know how to pronounce. And I knew both English and Spanish. And I kept sitting there with myself so anxious thinking, Oh my gosh, how do I say this word? I don't, honestly don't even remember the word. I just remember sitting there thinking I don't know how to say this. And the teacher asked me to read, and as I was reading, I mispronounced the word and people started laughing at me. And they were laughing and they're saying, "Oh, he doesn't know English." And I remember sitting in that honors class feeling so shamed, feeling so like guilty about not having known how to say the word. My professor telling people to stop, you know, my teacher telling people to stop laughing. And I remember just sitting there like, you know, I think someone made a comment like, why, why are you even in this class? And I remember kind of internalizing that and thinking, oh, my God, like, I'm not smart enough. Right. And it was because I knew two languages. I didn't know how to pronounce it. And, you know, long story short, I went into college. I took multiple English classes my first semester at the same time. And I got A's in everything that I took that was related to English. And Yet I always still question and doubt myself. Like there's so many moments when I'm speaking that I think an accent is going to come out. And it always reminds me of that internalized like oppression that I continuously try to dismantle because it's that fear of being seen as, oh, he can't even speak English or, oh, he's, you know, he's Latino. He doesn't know how to pronounce words in English, you know, and, and especially hearing family always tell me, you sound so educated. You're the most, you know, you're the, you sound so smart. You sound so white. You know, I got teased by my family for that, but then I got also teased by the other group, by, by white people, because I, I couldn't pronounce all the words exactly the way that they would tell me or the way that they were written. Um, you know, so it's, I think, also acknowledging that, that for a lot of us who go into education and then higher education, we carry with us a lot of that need to have to work extra hard to prove yes, ourselves. Yes. And it's so draining yes. and exhausting mm-hmm. and this need for perfection. I remember feeling like I constantly had to work 10 times more than other people because I was the one kid with immigrant parents who didn't have an education, who had an accent here and there that would come out, right? Or, or even just that one memory. And I remember crying when I did that EMDR session a, a month ago because I was like, shit, I did not know that I still carried that with me. This fear of being seen as less by people. And it was so frustrating. And all that ancestral rage that we we're talking about came back up for me. And I think it's still very relevant, right? Because even now after grad school, after higher education, we still go into professional spaces and we still navigate the same systems that we're being prepared for in these schools only to find that they're, it's still not accepting. It doesn't always get better. And we're, sometimes we're even more alone, right? In these places, right? Whether it's tech, whether it's mental health, whether it's whatever field, right, that, it, it, you know, like I said, our percentages of, of Latinos and, and other folks of color having master's degrees is so low, it's, you know, we, there's, we're bound to feel lonely or even needing to find each other. Yeah, Luis, I, I think a lot about, um, you totally just read my mind right now as far as um, how many times we have to try harder 
you know, you really ha- have to like, or yeah, as like POC, especially coming, you know, first generation, born in this country, first generation, like y'all been saying, like going to the university, navigating that. And then once you're there, it's just like, man, I, I was told by a friend once when I was in like starting grad school and I was like so upset. So I was like, I don't even know where I'm going to live. I think I have to live out of my car. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's like, you could stay with me. And, I, you know, from there, I just started like bouncing around in places. And, and she just told me, she's like, Liz, that just means that you have to try harder than everybody else. And I was like, yeah. But, you know, the victory is also a lot sweeter, right? Because mm-hmm. at the end of the road, you're like, yeah, I, I made this happen. I had all these obstacles and I was, I was able to, um, might be a little banged up here and there, (laughs) 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 a couple of tumbles and falls and scrapes and Mm. you're like, damn you really? come out in a full Se- body cast like <laughs> <laughs> but you get out <laughs> seriously like but you know i i was able to make it through and for me personally like going to higher education is like i'm not just in it for myself you know it's like the stakes are high you know i'm here for my my family mm-hmm. and i'm here for my community mm-hmm. because this is why i am studying to be in the mental health field to be able to give back to my community mm-hmm. And being able to make resources more accessible, right? Mm-hmm. So it's also a lot of pressure I felt that I put on myself and I think other folks also yeah. put on themselves. And, you know, just really quick, I want to share a story. Um, when I, I grew up in East L.A., right? And when I moved from East L.A. to the city of Whittier, um, I was about in the eighth grade and I was in honors English math and honors um math and English classes, right? And then I remember sitting in this room once I you know, went moved to Whittier with my school counselor and it was like older white guy, bald, you know, um, with glasses and all this, right? And, and I remember he's looking over my class schedule and he's just gonna put me in regular English and math. And I remember thinking, dang, if I don't say something right now, then I know it's gonna go down. I know exactly what's happening. And I just knew that my mom does not have the capacity to come and talk mm-hmm. and speak up for me. So I'm like, in my mind, I was like, oh no, uh-uh. He just is messing with the wrong person right now. I was like, excuse me. I was like, I know what you're doing. I was like, oh, I don't think so. You're going to put me in honors English and honors English and math classes. Why? Because I'm Mexican and I'm from East L.A. And he's like, oh, uh, 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 oh, oh, okay. (laughs) And guess what? I got both into those honors classes because you got to speak up for yourself. And you you really have to, in that moment, you know, and not everybody's able to do that. And I understand. But, like, at the end of the day, it's just like you're not going to mess with my education. Yes, and that's a big one. Thanks for bringing that up because it's hard to advocate for for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Like, I wasn't taught to advocate for myself. Like, my parents were always busy. So even even in elementary school and, you know, middle school and high school, all throughout my education, they were always busy. I had to kind of advocate for myself. Me and my, my siblings, we had to do that. And sometimes... We didn't because of this internalized, you know, oppress oppression or feeling like I'm not doing good enough or I'm not enough or I don't deserve to be in these spaces. Right. But the reality is like um, we can start, you know, I guess some of the tips is like we can start advocating for ourselves and um, knowing who we are, just like knowing that we are worthy and deserving of being in these spaces, you know, and um 
standing up for ourselves and also seeking out community, as I mentioned, which is very important. I think like even in uh during you know higher education no matter where you go seek out professional help too mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. go to see go mm-hmm. me- get mental health because you're gonna need it and it's we all need it right mm-hmm. we all need that extra support um so i would say and also speak your truth you know take the risk um sometimes you're, there's going to be a lot of fear of retaliation if you speak up against a teacher or you know you communicate with a teacher of your needs or that or that sub some things were unjust but honestly like seek out for support mm-hmm. right you're not alone just thank know you. that you're not alone yeah. thank you for saying that Cynthia you know that's so crucial and something that you brought up I just want to touch on before we we end um is what you shared around you know upbringing right a lot of us grow up in homes with uh, parents who are mistrustful or don't trust the system for rightly so right rightly so but it also gives us internalized messages right what Cynthia was sharing about advocating for ourselves it is very hard because we're often told that we don't have a voice to be able to say things right whether it's with the police whether it's with people in authority I remember my mom would just always have so much anxiety around these things because she didn't have papers you know she wasn't documented for a long time we had to just accept what people said to us, right? We didn't get to challenge because it wasn't okay for us to do that, right? We weren't in our country, as my mom would often say to me. You know, even though I was born here, she still felt like people automatically saw me and assumed I wasn't from here. And so I think what Cynthia just said too about, you know, seeking mental health support is crucial because a lot of these things we don't really acknowledge. They can be very subconscious, right? And they just play out in ways uh, like with the imposter syndrome, with us not speaking up, with us feeling lonely, with us feeling isolated, right? All of these things that come up for us as people of color navigating these systems because we've been told over and over that many of these systems are not going to support us um, and they don't make us feel valid and so we you know it's hard for us to speak up sometimes but it is crucial um, so I just want to thank our guest uh, Jesse Escalante who uh, gave us some wonderful insight and also uh, everyone else here that spoke today and we will see you all in our next episode of the Psychosocial Podcast.